Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. Welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today is longtime friend and all-around expert, really, on all things American. We, we turn to him at times when we would like to have an educated and faithful opinion on what's going on in our culture, Daryl Sakara. And Daryl, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you. Daryl, if you'd be so kind as to open us up with a brief word of prayer, I think we would all appreciate it. Sure. As always, we'll begin in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to be together, to share a little bit about our faith, and we continue to look forward to our futures. We just ask that you bless this program today, watch over those who are producing it, and for our audience, continue to hold them up in prayer as we live through these very trying times. Um, And we ask these things, as always, in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. You're joining us right now from Arizona, as I recall. So yes, um, I yes. take it the weather is hot in Phoenix. <laughs> yes, it's pretty warm out here in Phoenix. It's a nice sunny day. Uh, we've actually been kind of under in terms of our normal temperature. So, yeah, 100 degrees, but not in the 115-degree temperature range. So, And we've got some thunderstorms, which have been kind of nice through here. Yeah. Things are warm in our culture, too. There's been a lot of changes. Yes, they and, are. And that's what we were going to talk about today was the changes that have been taking place in our culture, and from a Catholic perspective, what all that means. <laughs> so let me go back and set okay. up for just a moment. We've had uh, a number of things that have happened over the last several months. We had, of course, the, mm-hmm. the fall of Roe v. Wade, which I think a lot yeah. of those of us who have been quite consistent on the pro-life side of the House rejoiced mm-hmm. at that, but I think there's yeah. there's still... We're finding out it's a cautionary tale, as we learned in Kansas, that it's not about now having abortion being made uh, illegal or or getting rid of it entirely in our country. It's now a state-by-state basis, and in some places it's more seriously focused than what it used to be. And then we also, of course, have had um, a great deal of confusion over how Catholics should respond to gender identity, uh, what is a man? What is a woman? Uh, we had, of course, the the, the famous scene at uh, the, now uh, Justice Jackson's confirmation where she was reluctant to reply when asked the question, what is a woman? And it, it yeah, really it seems, seems like a fairly straightforward question, but uh, apparently not so much so in today's world. So we have a number of things that have happened, and there's a a lot of us Catholics who are asking some questions about it. I want to go back and look at some some, uh, background for just a moment in our faith. Sure. We happen to hold to the the Catholic version of the Bible, which includes the seven books that Mm -hmm. the Jews at the end of the first century essentially weeded out of their canon and then Martin Luther weeded out of his. That included the story of Hanukkah with the Festival of Lights, mm-hmm. which starts mm-hmm. in First Maccabees with the implementation of rules from the Greek rulers who controlled at that time the land of Israel, and they uh-huh. they compelled the people 
to abandon their God and their customs. And they were forced yeah. to yeah. sacrifice on the altar in the temple. They were forced to eat pork against their religion. There are there's a there's a very famous uh, martyr account of a mother and her seven sons who are willing to go to their death rather than abandon their faith and eat pork. And right. yet everyone in the, the story goes that everyone in the leadership was going along with this, kind of go along to get along. And in fact, it became mm-hmm. illegal to participate in the old ways. You could be uh, executed for having copies of the scriptures or for for engaging the old ways. It shifted over the course of only a few years from having mm-hmm. Jerusalem faithfully following God and sacrificing the temple to a yeah. total abandonment, which, of course, there, there was then the revolt of Judas Maccabeus, and that whole story goes on from there. Mm-hmm. Everyone should read that if they haven't read it. And if you look in your Bibles and you don't have it in yours, you have a Protestant Bible. <laughs> you need to yes, get a Catholic yes, you one. Got the, the version with, with the, miss, the missing books. That's right. So to speak. And it's got a great story, and, and frankly, the the Hanukkah is a kind of a cool holiday to pay attention to right around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. But my right. point is that this is not the first time we've encountered a, a push to eliminate God out of our lives. And I'm mm-hmm. wondering if, just as it did back in the days of, of Antiochus Epiphanes in the 160s B.C., if mm-hmm. we're going to see it get far worse before it ever gets better, if it ever does. What's your thought on this? Well, I, again, um, yeah, taking from the biblical history, the, the lessons learned from, the, from Maccabees, uh, yeah, I, I see those kinds of things taking place in our own country today. I think much of what we're seeing, unfortunately, is really kind of a lack of, honestly, lack of education. I think people are more educated today than they've ever been, uh, but a lack of really good historical education in terms of knowing what happened in history, putting it into a context. Unfortunately, the history profession, as I see it, and I've seen it, you know, teaching at the college level, has become much more of a political game than anything else. You know, where, whereas you used to be free to kind of explore ideas in American history, struggle with ideas such as slavery, uh, women's rights, et cetera, and you would discuss these things in class. Now, if you happen to pour, uh, no, say something in a classroom that doesn't fit the dominant narrative, you're looked down upon. You're immediately labeled, you know, sexist or racist, uh, or have some kind of a phobia, uh, so to speak. And so the, the idea of an intellectual discussion in history really isn't there. And that's an unfortunate thing. We're seeing that, you know, in many public institutions. That's the, the whole thing, you know, since the last time we've spoken, with the whole thing with school board meetings, you know, in Virginia kind of being the one that was the one probably made the news more than anywhere else. But even here in Arizona, we had similar kinds of incidents where parents are at school boards and arguing about things, whether it's sex education or history or CRT, you know, the, the, the latest kind of fad, so to speak, in in the, in the history profession. You know, there's good things to look at. Yeah, obviously we need to look at our nation's history, see what's wrong with it and what wasn't wrong with it, you know, acknowledge the things that were in the past that were done. But what I'm seeing today is not just an acknowledgement of it, an understanding of it, but a pushing to in, reinterpret that history uh, in light of our current situation. Obviously, there are connections. You know, as I start my history courses in, in, in a few days here, one of the things that we're going to be doing is discussing, you know, what does history mean? How, how do we understand it? And unfortunately, that hasn't really happened. So, you know, Roe v. Wade is 50 years ago, and people don't understand the origins of it. They just see what's happening today. They don't look at the 50-year history of what this has been. 
And so therefore there's a, there's a profound misunderstanding of what we've done in the past. Same thing with the Bible. I mean, if you don't have certain books in the Bible, you know, Maccabees being one example, you kind of miss out. I mean, it makes Hanukkah, to me, as, you know, as a Christian, but if I were a Jewish person, to me, Hanukkah is a very important holiday. But you're missing out on everything there if it's not within your scriptures. And, you know, so it seems like you would have to revive that or at least re-examine those things. Maybe you don't accept them as a, you know, sacred, you know, authoritative, but at least those stories are very important. Well, let me go back for a moment. And, you know, we've gotten... Very clearly, as as you put it, an attempt to reinterpret history, and I think it's not just mm-hmm. history. I, I think culturally, it's an attempt to reinterpret our cultural norms. Mm-hmm. And I, I go back to you said CRT, which stands for critical race theory. Um, right. Yeah. The the key term there is critical, and I th- mm-hmm. I think the there's a misunderstanding when a lot of people hear critical theory of any kind. When they think of critical, I think most of us think of critical thinking, which is generally a good thing. You you want to right, try right. to examine Rational thinking. reasoning thinking. Right. Correct, correct. But that's not what critical means in this case. No, no. This comes it from Marxism. And all, right. all critical theories, whether it's critical race theory or critical gender theory or any of the critical mm-hmm. theories, they're criticizing to death. They're trying to destroy. They're, right. they're an attempt to destroy a norm. So mm-hmm. it, the, the critical race theory itself, while it's pointing out something that is very important, there, there has been historic racism that has been awful, but okay. the solution they're using is, is total negativity. Well, it's, it's setting up an, an oppositional force. I mean, that's what Marxism is. One force opposed to whether it's male versus female, black versus white, rich versus poor, proletariat versus the you know the the, the bourgeoisie. It's not about it's reasoning. That, it's about power. No, it's not. It's about a total you know structure of power a power structure that exists, and that's affected how we kind of see the world. So, anytime anything happens. You look at it from that power structure, and in politics today, it's all about that power structure. Who's in power, regardless of what the truth might be? <laughs> it's right. who's in power, and how can we control other people and tell them what to do? So the people who are in favor of Marxism, which mm-hmm. there, that seems to have become rather popular and even even public, which it used to be a, mm-hmm. almost a forbidden topic, now it's yes. it's part of our politics. Mm-hmm. Their focus isn't necessarily on reasoning. Their focus is on power. It is on power, and it, it's not about getting to the truth. I mean, one of the things that's been a hallmark of Catholic education is seeking the truth. Obviously, the ultimate truth is in God, and everything is based on that. So it, it's kind of interesting. One of the books that I'm kind of rereading, I think, a little bit, it's before I begin my course, it's called The Lord of History, and it's written back in the 1980s. And it makes a Christocentric understanding of history kind of a theme that in Catholic education we kind of have to revisit, especially in the historical profession, you know, teaching history. Teaching theology, obviously, Rick, you know, it's pretty simple. I mean, if you don't, if you're at a Catholic school, you're teaching theology is from a Christ-centered perspective. If you're teaching other subjects, that doesn't necessarily translate, you know, and so kind of putting that focus, especially in a Catholic school, I think is important, um, so that when students leave, they have an understanding that, you know, Jesus is real, God is real, hopefully taking that with them into the, so, so to speak, secular world, where you're going to read a, meet a lot of opposition against that. You know, it's, it's interesting because what we've, I think, seen happening is this division between those who hold to a purely rational world, absent anything mm-hmm. that cannot be seen, touched, tasted, or, or felt, or measured. In other words, mm-hmm. to, uh, an atheistic 
approach to reasoning. Right. A, mater- a materialistic approach to reasoning. Only material things are what's real. And a th- an approach that actually includes the possibility of God. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, is a Catholic understanding. And what mm-hmm. seems to be to have won out, at least for the time being, uh, is that the only thing that we're allowed to talk about, teach, or be involved with or engaged in is a, a reflection of a society that is based on the reasoning and rationality of materialism, a, a, an atheistic yes. view. And while you you may want to bring in theological understandings and meanings, that immediately gets shut down. What are the yes. implications of that? Well, if you don't have anything greater beyond yourself, then everything becomes simply the material. And that's why I think the Marxist ideas, critical theories, if you will, come into play, that it's only about the material world. So you look at just the material poverty that's there. Uh, you might just inspect them from that point. Your economics is going to come from that same kind of a perspective. There's nothing greater than what's here. The interesting thing, Rick, though, I think, is we're looking at kind of where our culture and society is going is that, you know, we, we start at the beginning of the of the segment, you know, talking about, you know, the Supreme Court, well, now Supreme Court justice, you know, couldn't ask the question, what is a woman? You know, and that's not based on a scientific, biological, factual, empirical evidence. It's based on one's feelings. So there's almost this, I don't know how you would phrase it, but just this kind of, you know, disconnect between some things are very much part of the scientific. That's all there is. And then on the other hand, you know, whether we can define biologically what, well, there's a biologic, but do we really know what a woman is? I mean, that kind of is something from the very beginning of the Bible is made very clear. <laughs> there's a man and there's a woman. And God created both of them in the image and likeness of God. And we seem to have lost that. It, it's, you know, there, there is no distinction between the two. And I, I see that happening in, in all areas, not just in, you know, the bio, in, in terms of, you know, gender relations or, you know, relations between men and women, but the same thing happening in, in, in the history profession or any of the social sciences. There is no search for truth. It's, kind of just whatever you want it to be, and so everyone has their opinion without, you know, looking at the facts and trying to draw a truth conclusion out of that information. We're going to have to take a break here for just a moment, but when we come back, okay. I want to I want to delve a little deeper into what this all means, why it's so important to hold fast to a Catholic perspective. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Daryl Sakara, who has been a friend of the show for many, many years and has a background in American history. We're talking with him about some of the, the shifts that have taken place in the recent history of our nation. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about what that all means. Have you been to the Christ Cathedral campus lately? There's no time like the present. Here's some good words from Father Christopher Smith and Deacon Frank Chavez. This place is for everybody. Yes. yes. All are welcome. When you're here on weekends, it's just powerful, exciting, which brings us to the diaconate. Deacons bring the grace of the altar to the streets and bring the needs of the streets to the altar. Beautifully. So this place is for everybody. For more great content, Check out spiritfilledradio.org. Spiritfilled Radio is in partnership with the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange in Southern California. Spiritfilledradio.org.
Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope in beautiful Garden Grove, California, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. And we are actually kind of discussing how that really is playing out on the clarity side today, at least in our society. With me today is Daryl Sequeira, who is um, a longtime educator. He holds a master's degree in American history and has been involved with American cultural studies for a long time and has been a friend of the show for many years. So, Daryl, I'm glad that you're here with us. We've been talking about the difference between a Marxist critical theory, and I don't want to go too far in the weeds on that, but it's basically an atheist (laughs) perspective in how we look at everything, versus a Catholic perspective, which takes into account reasoning, but also faith. As John Paul said, we have we need two lungs to breathe it in or two wings to fly with, one being faith mm-hmm. and one being reason. Uh, Fides et ratio uh, being his famous mm-hmm. encyclical on that. And that, on the contrary, we're not challenging reasoning, but we're establishing it. I, I heard someone put it this way, that we look to Genesis to understand uh, that God created the world, and we look to science to see his thumbprint in it. And I, I kind of like that motif, that if he's creating the world, it wouldn't shock you to see a thumbprint or two left of the pot that the potter has been <laughs> right, making, right. you know. Uh, but the bottom line is we have a belief in a God who is spirit. And in our world, the closest we seem to be able to come to that is light. We seem to have a lot of light going on, which is very ethereal. Uh, you can't see, touch, taste, or smell spirit or God unless mm-hmm. God chooses to reveal God's self. And so we have a faith that in and of itself, and I I believe by design, cannot be proven in a materialistic sense for the most Mm -hmm. part. I I realize we can go into logic and reasoning and Aristotle and a few other things, but from a purely secular perspective in the modern era, the idea Mm -hmm. of demonstrating a a God has been pretty much rejected Mm -hmm. by science. All right. Yeah, or just that they don't want to delve into it. They say, well, I don't have the answer. It's above my pay grade, I guess, is kind of how they don't want to entertain that. And, and maybe that's rightfully so, Rick. You know, maybe that's something that is left to philosophers and theologians and, and those outside the scientific world. However, I think, you know, a person in the science field, in the STEM field, should also acknowledge that people who are of faith, you know, we know, know some of the famous, you know, scientists or atheists, yeah. you know, that they're not rational people, they're not reasoning and not thinking. I think that's that's a, a big mistake, obviously, to be made, and it can lead to all kinds of unfortunate kinds of things in the scientific fields that we've seen in history. Yeah. Uh, everything from eugenics all the way up to today, denying, you know, the reality of life from the moment of conception. Yeah. I don't want to touch that issue because that's a theo- it's not a theological issue. It's, it is a basic biology issue. Well, and that really comes down to it. Is a lot of this, as we were saying before, if it's critical theory, whether it's critical race theory or critical gender mm-hmm. theory, the proponents of those theories will use logic and reasoning to a degree, but their focus mm-hmm. in the end is on power because that's right. what critical theory ends up moving toward which means mm-hmm. that they're not necessarily grounding everything in logical argument. So when we're looking at whether or not there is a, a male or a female based on gonads and gender, um, mm-hmm. we're being almost gaslighted. We're, we're asked to suspend our view of reality and say, well, despite the fact that you have male personal parts or mm-hmm. you have female personal parts, 
you're not really that because your psyche, which is interesting, they want to go to something that they can't see, touch, taste, smell as well, your personality and how you feel about things, mm-hmm. but right. that somehow your psyche overrules your your gender, your your sex. I, I guess mm-hmm. we should be careful about our terms, but what we see and interpret. And I don't know, there's mm-hmm. a part of me that says that if we have science telling us that you're a boy, the fact that you don't feel like a, a, a traditional macho boy doesn't make you a girl. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I remember uh, hearing one famous person who became... Uh, who who underwent the surgery and transitioned. And I'll just uh-huh. leave the name out. But made the comment right. that this person couldn't wait to have the surgery so the person could engage more freely in interacting with some Chardonnay and the girls. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, why couldn't you do that with all of your personal parts intact? I mean, there was an age when you had girls growing up who were who played baseball and shot bows and arrows and liked sword fighting, and they sometimes mm-hmm. were called tomboys, but they were still girls. Yes. And they weren't expected right. to somehow transition. Today, if you do that kind of mm-hmm. behavior, there's pressure out there to, to transition. Yeah, and it's starting at a very, very young age. I think, you know, as parents, you you need to be aware of what's being kind of promoted in schools at at that young age. And, you know, there are cases, obviously, in, in other countries, in Canada in particular, that are, you know, parents are being put in jail for refusing to accept that, you know, and language and everything else. I mean, it, it's it's getting to a point that if you are, you know, I want to call it, call it traditionally minded. I mean, until five minutes ago, you know, everyone accepted these kinds of things that, all of a sudden now you're on the opposite side of that. You're not affirming your, your kid. And, you know, as, as parents, Rick, you, you and I both know our kids oftentimes make and question things and make poor decisions. And it's the job of our parents, as parents, you know, to guide them in that way. Well, there's several memes going around uh, about just that, that as kids, uh, thank God my parent didn't let me self-identify as a pirate or they would have cut off my right legs. So I get a peg leg. I mean, right, right. You, you know, right. it's our kids are changing all the time. And a lot of these kids, they're finding the statistics are that they grow out of whatever mm-hmm. gender questions that they have, but they're being encouraged mm-hmm. more and more not to do that. That's a very dangerous thing. The, the hormone blocking that they're doing has some permanent uh, ramifications Mm-hmm. Not to mention, of course, the surgeries that can happen and right. the suicide right. rate for those who've actually gone through the transition. The suicide rate is, is off the charts. It's huge. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. not a benign thing that we're talking about. This is something that the truth of the Catholic faith makes a difference here. Right. Right. And, and yeah. And the truth of the science behind it as well. I mean, again, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a person who, you know, who studies. But I, again, in my own career as an educator, I've seen these things come up more and more often now with students in school, you know, where that questioning takes place. And, you know, the question for us as adults, as Catholics, is how do you deal with an individual who is questioning that? Do you affirm them? Do you give them, oh, yeah, go ahead and do these things? Or do you counsel them and find out deeper what's going on? Again, not being a trained psychologist, I don't right. pretend to, you know, um, to have any expertise in that area. But just kind of common sense, you know, looking at things. And we've seen this before in history where, where people, you know, who are outside the norms of behavior yeah. are mistreated. Well, obviously our catechism tells us we don't mistreat people. But at the same time, you know, we have to acknowledge the truth and work 
within what they are. I think Pope Francis talks a lot about that when he talks about the society of accompaniment, although that can oftentimes be, you know, used in, in, in a way that just allows certain things to take place. But the idea of working within that framework, working within the, the reality that's here to help them to see and, and to, to grow out, hopefully grow out of, but at least to see what the truth is all about. Well, and, and that's a difficult thing. We're not denying that we have people with very real issues and problems and pains. And mm-hmm. the, the issue for us is not, are you suffering from some sort of gender dysphoria? Clearly you are, or you wouldn't be having well, those right. ideas. And, and I think the question is the solution we're talking again, about. <laughs> Right. It, the, the solution is not, and here's where, again, I go back to my area of expertise, looking at history, looking at, you know, American culture, American government, et cetera. Is it the right of the government to sit here and make laws that criminalize right. people's, you know, positions? And that's what we're seeing, maybe not so much in the United States, but I think some of these things are, are, are looking to, to make it basically that. That if you're a teacher in a classroom in a public school and you don't use a proper pronoun, you could be in trouble for that. And those kinds of laws to make legislation about that, I think, is overstepping the bounds of what government in our historically should be. Obviously, things that are, are discriminatory. You know, Brown versus Board of Education was a prime example of, you know, the Supreme Court overturning a precedent, which is always strange to me when Roe v. Wade, well, it's a precedent that's been set. Okay, it's 50 years, but we've seen other cases where the Supreme Court has overturned previous long-held, you know, Supreme Court decisions. But going back to the idea, do we legislate these kinds of things and put this, you know, things like these questions about gender, et cetera, into, um, into law? And, you know, you might say, well, okay, don't be discriminatory against people's sexual behavior in private. Okay, well, that's one thing. But at the same time, where I see the law going, and here's the danger that I see, is that they're forcing people to do things, uh, parents in particular, that are detrimental to their family, to their family's health, to the children's health, because they have a certain viewpoint of how things should be done. Children are going to make the decision as their own. Is it the government's job to do that? I think that's overstepping that. So today we have a a number of localities where if you are a 13-year-old and you want to be called by a different name and begin even hormone blockers, the school district mm-hmm. will help that happen and not inform the parents. By law, mm-hmm. they are protected from, from doing that, which means mm-hmm. the parents who traditionally have been able to have been empowered to give guidance, the church believes are the, the primary instructors of the child, right. their, the, their power is taken away. And before mm-hmm. we think that um, somehow the state will eventually make life-and-death decisions about your own children, uh, most people think of England as being a, a very forward-thinking country. But there, if your child is very ill, you do not have the final say as to whether or not your child will receive life-saving care. The government does. Mm-hmm. And we just Correct. had another um, another child have life support turned off, and the child died a few hours later, where the parents wanted to continue doing uh, medical intervention, and the government mm-hmm. said, no, we've done enough. And right. and that is a slippery slope that can happen here. I mean, mm-hmm. what we're talking about is a worldview that takes God out of it and power mm-hmm. is the way they want to do it versus mm-hmm. a worldview that has God as being important to the mix along with reason, and we want to use reasoning to do it. And the mm-hmm. consequences, I don't think, could be any any greater. 
Yeah, no, and it, that is a, a major shift in the culture. Again, from the American, you know, government, from the American historical perspective, we've always been about, you know, increasing people's freedoms and, and, and that experiment, so to speak. And the question becomes, is that experiment dying? You know, I, I just see again, when we're looking at the culture, we're looking at the power of the federal government. Uh, it, it's been increasing ever since it was kind of founded. That was one of the founding fathers' biggest, I say, fears or nightmares, but that it would become all powerful, all overreaching. And we really are seeing that when you're looking at at not just the U.S. government or state governments, but in terms of the power of the media, the media having the power to shut things down, or social media for that matter, you know, silencing certain perspectives and voices. You know, again, it, granted, it's a private company, you'll start your own company, but it, at some point, you know, Google, Facebook, uh, Twitter, all these various social media companies have a great deal of power and influence. They've become the public square. They have. And you just not, are not permitted to do that. You're not permitted to certain say certain things. We need to take another break. We're ending though at a at a very interesting point where you're talking about the power of central of centralized power, centralized <clears throat> one one view power. When we come back, I want to explore a little more on that and what it means and why Catholic faith. While we don't want to become quote political. Mm-hmm. The separation of politics and religion is really a very modern phenomenon. So there is yeah. always um, a, you have to live out your faith. So when we come mm-hmm. back, I want to talk more about that. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Daryl Sequeira. And we are talking about our American culture and how Catholics are to function in it. And we will be right back. In the studios of Spirit-Filled Radio, we like to have some fun every now and then. Here's host Ralph Linsmeyer of Finding Your Way with guest Megan Morris. Let's talk a little bit about what each of you guys are yearning for right now. Megan, what are you yearning for? Always a cup of coffee, Ralph. (laughs) (laughs) For more great content, check out SpiritFilledEvents.com. Spirit-Filled Radio is in partnership with the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange in Southern California. Spirit-Filled Events. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Daryl Sakara, and he has been a longtime friend of the show, has been involved with Catholic education for many years. He has been a, a teacher, a, an administrator, a principal, a president, and holds a master's in, in American history and has been very much involved in the analysis of American history and American culture. And we're very thankful to have him on. Thank you again for being here, Daryl. Well, my pleasure, Rick. And we have been talking about the position of Catholic faith in the American society that has changed so much in so many ways the last few months. Really the last several years, but the last few months have been quite stark, the last year and a half or so. Right. And I, I guess I want to come down to something that was said. I, I saw again a video played of Antonin Scalia back from, I think, 2011 when he was giving some testimony before a committee of Congress. And he wasn't mm-hmm. subpoenaed or anything. He was just asked to come in and talk to them. And he made an interesting comment. He, and I want to paraphrase him. I don't want to misquote him. I, I have a great deal of respect sure. for him. But his mm-hmm. comment was, when you ask most American scholars uh, what it is about America that keeps us free, most of the time they'll refer to the First Amendment and freedom of speech or freedom of religion mm-hmm. or the Bill of Rights. And he said mm-hmm. that that just is not true. 
Mm-hmm. Every country has a Bill of Rights. Russia has a Bill of Rights that has that enshrines <laughs> all sorts of freedom. It, yeah, it, sure. The Chinese communists have a Bill of Rights as well. Something I think he called <laughs> parchment protection. It's the protection of the parchment. It's only as good as the people who enforce it. And he said, what keeps us free has been that the Constitution, and he contrasted this. Remember, at the Constitutional Convention, the Bill of Rights was an afterthought. They wanted to get the Constitution right. Constitution means Mm -hmm. what you're structured as. You know, what's your Constitution? What's your structure? He says, we've been structured as a government that does not allow one-party rule. It doesn't allow one group Mm -hmm. to rule. There's a separation of powers. And as long as we're able to keep that from happening, one-party rule, one-group rule, as long as we're able to keep that from Mm -hmm. happening, then we will have our freedoms enshrined in the Bill of Rights respected. But as soon as we we have one group in power, uh, game over. And I don't think that that necessarily translates into political parties, because I'm I'm really not a, a Democrat or a Republican I am really someone who believes very strongly, though, in being Catholic. And I mm-hmm. think that if we're looking at one group rule, right now, so many forces seem to be allied with this Marxist view of the world, even if they don't call mm-hmm. themselves Marxists. And it's not everyone who's liberal. I mean, if you look at someone like Alan mm-hmm. Dershowitz, you might disagree with a lot of his philosophy, but he's at least willing to to debate with you. He'll reason with you. Sure, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's it's a matter of people who hold to this philosophy. Do you see that danger as well, or are we only going through a phase? What's your thoughts? No, I, I think we are seeing again. We're at, I don't want to use the word at a, a crossroads, or you know, we're we're we at a tipping point, or any of those kinds of things. But I do see that, you know, as a as government continues to be more and more consolidated at the central level, the more those who are in power now have power over everybody else. Again, the beauty of our system, of the, of the American system, was this idea of federalism, and it goes right to the heart of Catholic social teaching. You know, not that the founding fathers knew this, but the idea of subsidiarity. Things are best handled at the local level. Okay, let's talk a moment. And, what is subsidiarity versus well, solidarity? That, yeah, so solidarity, we're in union with, with as a nation, for example. We're solidarity, we have certain rights, certain ideas, certain principles upon which we're founded. Where are those found? For me, again, as a history teacher, I always read the Declaration of Independence before I read the Constitution. The reason being is that that gives us the solidarity, the solidification of what is it that we're trying to do here. We had a government it was under King Henry or King George, and um, you know we didn't like it. And that's what the Constitution does. It sets up the form of the government. What is a government supposed to be doing? That's the Declaration of Independence. And in that, it states that we have unalienable, depending on some say inalienable, unalienable, basically the right. same word. And they're not given by government. Government must protect those rights given to us by God. Even though Thomas Jefferson was a deist, and said, well, he wasn't really a Christian, I think he was you know, basically Christian in his philosophical outlook. But having said that, it gave us these things are rights that no government has the right to take away. And that's what the Constitution established. The, the, the Articles of Confederation tried to do it, but it was kind of a failure, and that's why we had the Constitutional Convention. What I'm seeing today is we're not looking at the Constitution anymore as a rule by power. And whether that power be in a political party, a uh, single individual, or the media, it's all about that centralized control. 
the thing that, again, a lot of people misunderstand about the Dobbs decision, the one that overturns Roe v. Wade, is that it didn't change the law. It basically simply said it's now a matter back to the state. So if you live in California, your abortion laws haven't changed. If you live in Arizona, yeah, the laws are going to change now because we have laws in the book that protect – well, the original state constitution had it completely prohibited – but the new one says, I think it's 15 weeks, up, up to 15 weeks, and then after 15, the state can, can limit abortion. That's what the decision did. It didn't outlaw abortion across the country. It simply said individual states have the right to be able to make those kinds. Of, we're not going to create a national policy on this. Certain things, again, I'm going to agree that there are certain things in, the, in government and American history that needed to be done. So, again, obviously overturning Plessy v. Ferguson. Again, not to get the movies, that establish a principle of separate but equal. Rightfully was overturned nationally by the Brown versus the Board of Education decision, which said, no, that inherently is unequal under the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. We have to get back to this idea of the individual. This is what American founding was about. And hopefully what I'll teach in my American history class when I'm teaching this this year is that these are experiments in democracy. Let's see what kind of works in the areas. And it gives people the choice to be able to live in various areas where where their values, if you will, are, are being upheld. So Again, certain things are inalienable, and they should be across the board. So obviously slavery being gotten rid of, a universal good. <laughs> no, I don't right. think anyone's going to argue against that. So when we're looking at those two terms, subsidiarity and solidarity, solidarity is the grand overarching unity of our country. Yes. And we need yes. to protect that. But it's mm-hmm. just as important to protect the lowest level realization of that. Uh, a subsidiarity means handling something at the lowest level possible. So mm-hmm. so while, while policy on how Medicare is going to buy drugs as a nation and negotiate with mm-hmm. drug companies may be a very large thing to do at a very high level, individual care of an individual person should be handled at the lowest level possible usually at the at the level of the doctor and the individual patient that's subsidiarity right. so mm-hmm. we cherish for example the ability of individual school districts to decide for themselves what they want their children to learn and it isn't going to be a national thing uh it's mm-hmm. going to be a an individualized thing uh, which is mm-hmm. one of the reasons why several years back when Common Core came in, a lot of people were very nervous about it because mm-hmm. the fear was it would nationalize what has always been a part of of uh, local control. Right. right. Well, again, I, I think it's a matter of, you know, if you have, does the federal government, the Department of Education, should that exist? I mean, that's been, I think, a debate question on some presidential stages. You know, should we have a Department of Education or not? Well, the Department of Education shouldn't be setting the standard for the nation. It should be supporting the local school districts in their ability to teach. Obviously, I think, and this is where I think we've lost, and this is, goes back to our, our earlier discussion, Rick, where is, you know, what, what is the, the basic form of government that helps? Well, the basic, most basic form of government is the family. Well, the smallest unit. Redefined, yeah. yeah, the smallest unit. That's where children are raised, the next generation is raised. And are we supporting parents? And this goes to the question of, of abortion. This goes to the question of, you know, children and if they're, you know, experiencing gender, gender confusion or dysphoria. How do we support those, those parents? I think because if you try to have, handle everything on a national level, you're not seeing the individuals for who they are. You all become part of the collective. Again, that goes back to a kind of a Marxist interpretation of things. The collective is more important than the individual. And we as a country have never 
espouse that. It's always been their individual rights. That that's where the Bill of Rights comes in. Individuals have certain rights, and those need to be protected by the government. I don't see that happen. I see individual rights being taken away, subsumed. Um, you know, the whole thing with again, a lot of change, as you said, Rick, over the last six months, but over the last few years. You know, the whole thing with our our COVID protocols, a national policy, and I think we're seeing now that this wasn't kind of the right way to go, and certain states did certain things. But at the time, they were being demonized by that. Yeah. You know, certain states had a lot more strict protocols, others had less strict, and then they were told, you know, this, that, and the other. And really, it, it you know, the national government should be supporting what the local governments are doing more so. And then, then it boils down the state government supporting the local city or county governments, and all the way down to, again, what's it all for? Government is formed to help individuals, families in particular, to raise the next generation of children. So let's let's apply that for just a moment to from a Catholic perspective. So mm-hmm. Catholics hold in solidarity to the dogmas, the major dogmas of our church. Yes. That Jesus Christ is the son of God. He's not just a man. Mm-hmm. That he mm-hmm. died uh as a human being and he then was was resurrected from the dead and mm-hmm. that he he ascended into heaven and will come back again someday. I mean, all those yeah. things that are in our statement of faith, our creed, those are mm-hmm. on that grand level of solidarity. But how mm-hmm. how we implement certain aspects of the pastoral care of people in regard to that, how do we mm-hmm. minister to those who are sick? How do we minister to those who are dealing with, with divorce, remarriage, and annulment? How mm-hmm. we're dealing with, with people at the individual level that's handled at the parish level. And indeed, yeah. your, your your individual faith, we're not saved by running a whole group of people through a, a, a baptismal car wash. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're saved one person at a time. Correct. Soul by soul by soul. There, there's this tension in Catholic faith where within the grand framework of the creed, we have mm-hmm. subsidiarity as well, this idea of... Mm-hmm of individuality. That seems to me to be important to God. I guess it translates as well into the rest of our society. Yeah, no, I think it definitely does. Obviously, we are a part of the human race. God created us in the image of likeness. We all share in that oneness, you know, the oneness of God. But at the same time, each of us have our own individual lives and decisions to make. We all have free will. And we decide whether or not we're going to follow God's laws. And again, government shouldn't be in the way of getting in the way of that. It should be supporting those decisions, you know, by various church. And again, obviously, if there's an individual group, religious group that claims a religious exemption, but it's doing things that are, you know, depriving the, the rights of others, then there's a whole different story. But at that level that we see majority Christian churches and things, you know, it's, it's getting in the way. I see getting in the way of things. So if you're a Catholic school or a Catholic university and you believe that, you know, men should compete in men's sports and women should compete in women's sports, well, you're now going to be pressured by the federal government to renege on that or you're just not going to have competitions anymore. That's what I mean by, I think, getting in the way of things. Government in a business that has no business being there. You know, I, I think there are limits to what government should do, and I don't see us doing that, to be very honest. But yeah, it goes back to this idea that God created us as individuals, and we as a collective, as a group, help one another on that journey to God. Now, that's going to be hard if someone doesn't believe in God, but 
at the same time, you, you have that same solidarity, if you will, between human beings. I don't see it as being a conflict. Right. We have one section left, and when we come back, I would like us to explore where we go from here, uh, both where you think okay. our society is trending, but also what Catholics ought to be doing in order to either facilitate or to help guide that trend. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Daryl Sakara. We're talking about the changes in our society from a Catholic perspective, and we will be right back. Encouraging our young people to pursue their God-given passions in the creative arts, like music, for instance. Here's a good word from David Ball, Christ Cathedral organist and head of music ministry, along with guest Michael Bauer. He, too, is a cathedral organist based in Long Island, New York. Sometimes organists get too stuck in their choir lofts and don't let the children in. And it's like you have to, that's why children's choirs are so important. That's how I found my start. We have three young organ scholars right now. The thing I'm most proud of here is establishing that program. It's like there's a way, a path to the future of church music. Where's the future of the Catholic Church? Where's the future of Catholic Church music? It's in the young. In the young, exactly. Before the Industrial Revolution, the most complex machine on the planet was the pipe organ. Right. So, so for <laughs> centuries, until the middle, later 1800s, so uh, children, they're also they're fascinated by technology, by the mechanical parts. So if there's a way for them to see some of the workings of an organ, I found that incredibly fascinating. For more great content, check out spiritfilledradio.org. Spiritfilled Radio is in partnership with the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange in Southern California. Spiritfilledradio.org. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Daryl Sakara. And before we go any further, I want to make sure I take a, a moment and thank profusely Daryl for taking this time to be with us. Uh, we're talking to him all the way in Arizona, and uh, the connection's pretty clear. I'm glad that you're able to make it, but I know it's also mm -hmm. time out of your day. Daryl, thank you so much for spending some time clarifying some things for us. Yeah, no, not a problem. My pleasure. We've been talking about the idea that Catholic faith isn't neatly divided between uh, religion and politics, and that actually our philosophy as Catholics is both one of grand overarching ideas, like what we see in the creed, but also an appreciation for for living that out at a local level with local control uh, mm -hmm. on certain things. And that's been kind of how the American Constitution was envisioned, that certain things would be overarching, but other things needed to be left to local control. And one of the problems that we seem to be having is a consolidation of power, not necessarily in one party, but in one philosophical group, where this woke group, to use the term that they've been using, they have some they've pointed out some very important criticisms of our culture the, the idea of racism is still being rampant is an important consideration to take into effect to account the idea that mm -hmm. that there's still gender discrimination between men and women needs to be taken into account but the solutions that they propose are being applied in ways 
both through social media and through private companies, but also in government institutions like the Department of Education. We saw in the past under certain administrations the use of government powers, such as uh, the IRS and the FBI being used to enforce mm-hmm. certain ways of thinking and doing. What's a Catholic to do or what are Catholics as a group to do? First of all, do, do you see the trend continuing that direction or is, it, is the pendulum going to swing back? And number two, what should Catholics do in regard to that? I, I think pendulums in history, again, they kind of swing backwards. If you go too far to one end, you know, um, you know, the worst case scenario would be a complete collapse of society. I don't see that happening. I know there's some people think, you know, we're going to have a civil war. It's going to be violence in the streets. And we saw, saw some of that, you know, in the recent past. But I think a lot of that was simply a reaction to certain things that had kind of built up over the years. But I think for Catholics for today, you know, Number one, as I think we've discussed in previous programs, you know, we need to be ourselves educated about what's, what the issues are out there. You know, too often I think we get our information from the media, and if we look, listen to just one media source, you know, we're going to get a perspective. If that's all we ever listen to, we never get the other perspective. I, I think it's Catholic. I think we need to stop listening to the media, number one, because I think this, you know, I don't care whether it's Fox or CNN or whatever. I hope they don't stop off. listening then, to the radio, but that's okay. <laughs> well, no, no. Yeah, again, you find, again, independent sources like this would be a great place to continue to find your information, discussions, and, and things. But, you know, meeting actually with people face-to-face. Don't look at what's on your Facebook or Twitter feed or whatever. You know, go and meet with people. You know, talk with people at your parish. You know, one of the things that, you know, the COVID lockdowns did was keep people from talking to each other, especially during an election year. And I think that was a, a, de- a detriment de- to democracy is that no one was able to really communicate other than what we saw on our screens. So I think that's number one. You know, people need to be educated. They need to converse with each other meet with other people, um, and to discuss these ideas. I think the second thing we need to do, again, as we talked about earlier, is to go back to the idea of subsidiarity, that we need to bring more local control back. So get involved in your local elections, whether it's school board. I mean, it's it's a strange thing, but that school board meeting in Virginia, Loudoun County, Virginia, I believe it was, made national news. That was a local school board. How many times have you ever gone to your local school board? Well, maybe that's where, you know, at the local level, whether you're being involved with it or even running for local school boards, getting yourself involved in it. I think the bishops put out the faithful citizenship um, document a number of years ago and they continued to update each election. Look through that. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to look at issues? You know, I know we're not supposed to be single-issue voters, but there are certain issues I think that are, are key and important. Number one being, again, since, you know, I think a lot of, uh, pro-lifers kind of, I don't want to say sound of the world, but oh, look, we want our decision in the Dobbs case, and now we can sit back and relax. Well, no. Kansas showed us obviously not. Hopefully it doesn't become another bleeding Kansas as it did in the 19th century. <laughs> but, you know, um, that shows that, you know, we have a lot of work to do. And it's not a matter of beating people over the head. I think it's conversing with them, having conversations, and moving at the local level, starting with the children with education, back to what our Catholic principles all are about. That's, I think, those two things, you know, being aware, looking at things, and then getting involved at your local level are going to be the things that will save our democracy. You know, not riding in the streets and, you know, having, you know, attacking the state capital or the national capital. Those aren't going to do anything for anybody. No one's going to be convinced by that. That's power. That's designed to intimidate, and that's designed to to stop you from... From reasoning, it's designed to cow you or, or make you not be involved. Mm-hmm. And we have mm-hmm. to be brave, courageous, be not afraid, as John Paul would say, mm-hmm. and be involved. Mm-hmm. 
so that when we are in, engaging in our politics, we're not cowed by people who are going to threaten us, that are going to mm-hmm. to perhaps, you know, you've got people that will say, hey, there's if you do that, there's going to be rioting in the streets. Well, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, if it's the right thing to do, I'm not going to be cowed by someone who's going to, right. to threaten me. We had martyrs in the past uh, who who <laughs> yeah. were willing to stand up for what they believed in, and they, they, some of them were a little enthusiastic, like Ignatius. Uh, Please don't stop them from me being eaten by the lions. But mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. you had a number of them that they simply were going to stand by their faith, regardless of what mm-hmm. that meant. Um, mm-hmm. And and that is something that I think we need to remember that this world. Our job is is not to perfect this world. Our mm-hmm. job is to perfect our souls and the souls of those around us. And mm-hmm. as part of that, we should do all that we can to help those souls, and that means trying to improve our world. Mm-hmm. But in the end, we, we gain nothing by selling out our souls in order to reach some sort of political compromise. Right, and I think, unfortunately, often... Too often times that happens, you know. Again, not to say that it comes down to money always, but you know, well, it's going to cut off funding, or I may lose my job, you know. And that's a reality, you know. If you speak out against something in your in your employment, you may not be, you may be targeted, you may lose your job as a result of that. And unfortunately, those things sometimes do happen. And maybe that's a bit of martyrdom. But going back to we started the show with, you know, the, uh, the Maccabees, did they sit there and say, well, we're just going to go ahead and do this just for the time being because we've got to put up with this? Well, no. They obviously fought against that. They yeah. held strong to their faith. I think as Catholics, we need to do that. And I mentioned the third thing here is that, again, obviously prayer. I, I think we need to pray for one another. We need to pray for our leaders. I don't care what political party. Pray for our leadership to yeah. make the right decisions. You know, because I think in that that. Turning to God and those times. I mean, if you look at the Old Testament, when when Israel turned to God, God was with them. When Israel turned away from God and focused and tried to do it on their own, that's where Israel went down the tube, so to speak. I think we've seen a lot of that in our own nation. We've turned away from God. Look at the surveys that are out there, not just amongst Catholics, but amongst the general population. You know, faith is on the decline. Well, when you turn away from God, all things become possible or permissible. I think Dostoevsky, to kind of, again, paraphrasing, not directly quoting. Right. (laughs) You know. Well, and and that raises a very interesting point, and that is that we're here to try to bring about an improvement in society. We're not actually looking at people and saying, hey, wait a minute, all or nothing, you may be focused on power. We actually are praying for you, and we want what's good for you, and we agree that you're bringing up some very important points, and you have your own issues and your own problems and your own perspectives, and we want to respect those, but respect ours. And in the meantime, we may not agree with the solutions that you are holding, but we're still, this is not about um, power and winning. This is about prayer and trying to improve people's lives. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? We disagree on on that method. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't believe that you need to, to use violent power, uh, coercive mm-hmm. power, uh, as mm-hmm. your primary means for, for enacting change. We need to, to come, let us reason together, as Isaiah said. Uh, mm-hmm. our, our call is to bring about the love of Christ and to reason that into the world. 
even mm-hmm. if we disagree with the solutions of others, it doesn't mean that we're not taking into account their their concerns. On the contrary, we acknowledge that, wow, you've pointed out some very important things in our society that we need to look at. But your solution mm-hmm. through critical means, we disagree with. Right. And again, again, if you're discussing with something who comes from that, you know, the critical theory perspective of that, you know, kind of a Marxist us versus them, this power sexual relationship is to kind of look at maybe say, look, we're not looking about powers, they're not powers. How can we work together to arrive at a common solution? Again, there was that idea of solidarity. How do we come together to solve the problem, whether it's immigration or poverty or women's rights or, you know, or, you know, racial discrimination? How do we solve these problems together? Acknowledging those things and what, you know, where culpability really does lie. You know, the idea of promoting the idea of, you know, the sins of the father kind of upon the, the current generation, I think, is wrong. That only builds animosity. Yeah. At the same time, how do we die with those who have, who have experienced actual racism or sexism or, or right. homophobia or whatever the case might be? You know, those are genuine questions that we as Christians can do. I, I just think that those are the things as a church, as a people of God, that we need to be be addressing maybe we haven't done so in the past but to leave that to government to kind of address is going to become a one-size-fits-all thing and that's not going to be a good thing that generally is not daryl no i want to thank you so very very much for coming in and chatting about all of this uh Mm -hmm. if for no other reason than to at least let people hear yeah you're not imagining things real things really are changing in some ways and Mm -hmm. it is important not only to to acknowledge those changes but to engage those changes in ways that are helpful mm-hmm. to our society. Mm-hmm. Now, before we go, if you would be so kind as to perhaps lead us in a word of prayer on the way out, I think all of us could use it. Sure. As always, we in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we just always place ourselves before you to do your will. We ask that as we continue forward in these troubling times, these difficult times, that you send your Spirit upon us to guide us, as you did in the Old Testament, as you continue to do today. Inspire us, inspire our leaders, particularly our religious leaders, our bishops and our Pope, to continue to be the faithful shepherds that they are. And we ask these things as always in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Daryl Sequeira, who is presiding, who is residing in Arizona now, I thank you very much for being with us today. You have been listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And if you would like to share today's broadcast with someone through our podcast, you can reach that by going to OCCatholic.com, and you can go to the radio tab. Under the radio tab, you will find a number of different options, one of which is our flagship show, the Orange County Catholic Radio Program. And this particular broadcast will be up as a podcast shortly. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today has been Daryl Sequeira, and we have been talking about a very important topic, what Catholics should be engaged in as we approach how we react to our society. It's a time for all of us to be in deep, deep prayer, but also deep action and to stand strong, knowing that we ourselves are to be ministers to those who are hurting, to those who are in need of of mercy and change and grace, but that we also need to do that through spreading the gospel, that God's love is the ultimate source for our solutions. On behalf of all of us at Orange County Catholic Radio, I, I thank you for listening and we'll see you again next week.
Spirit-Filled Radio presents Wedding Bands with Cindy and Deacon Angelo Giambroni. Getting sage advice is one thing, but there's no substitute for real hands-on experience. People try and tell you. <laughs> they try and tell you that having children changes everything. Mm-hmm. And you don't really know it until it happens. That's right. And now they're grandparents. Which is awesome. The best part about being a grandparent is that you get to do all the fun stuff with the kids. And then at the end of the day, you give them back to their parents. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What was the joke? Best thing about being a grandparent is that you and the grandchild have a common enemy. <laughs> <laughs> No, we're just as a joke. It's Wedding Bands with Deacon Angelo and Cindy Giambroni on Spirit-Filled Radio. Come and check out all the podcast episodes at spiritfilledradio.org. That's spiritfilledradio.org.